This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Welcome to the February 5th, 2024 For Your Benefit radio show. I am Bob Lines, and we have a guest, a certified financial planner, and his name is Brian Kurz. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me. Great to be back on. Yeah, well, and I'm great to have you back on. So we'll have a real good discussion today. We're going to talk about the financial review for your new year. And we'll talk about different things, investment allocations, rebalancing, whatever that is, cash flow and budgeting for the new year, retirement contributions, plans, etc. So, Brian, um, take the first step forward. Where are we headed? Well, I think one of the first things to think about, whether it's early in the new year or we're just getting around and and looking at it now, but one of the things to think about is should you be changing your investment allocation? And I get this question a lot. And a lot of times people want to change their investment allocation because of what's going on in the market. Either the market's hitting all-time highs, as we're fortunately seeing in recent days, or there's a a crash like we saw in 2008, 2022, and people want to react to that and change their investment allocation. But the reality is those are are not the situations that should trigger updating my investments. I want to think about my time horizon and risk tolerance. In many ways, it's, it's pretty simple when we get down to it. I need to think about how long till I'm withdrawing money, when I do start withdrawals, how much am I taking out? Am I pulling all the money out or am I going to pull it out over X number of years, as is hopefully the case for our TSP and retirement accounts? And then what is my comfort level? What kind of risk tolerance do I have? So it's it's really those two in combination that are going to give me my ideal investment allocation, uh, thinking about how much I have in the stock market versus not. If you've ever heard of a 60-40 portfolio or an 80-20 portfolio, that first number is referring to the total amount we have in stocks, and the second numbers are are bonds and cash. So I think that's very important to be aware of is what investment allocation are you in, first off. And if, if let's say I'm in a life cycle fund with TSP or I'm in the individual funds, I want to see what I have in CS&I, add that up. That's my stock allocation. Then look at what I have in G&F and at least get a sense of where I am now. Then I can think about the time rise in risk tolerance, maybe even go through a risk tolerance questionnaire, and that'll give me an idea if I need to make some changes to my investment allocation or not. I would think that... Um... The average listener, with all, all, all due respects, unless you're in the, the financial side, may not fully appreciate the allocation. Uh, allocation for some people here, oh, we're just moving this around to, you know, to make more money. Of course, we always want to make more money, but we want to have our um, head screwed on straight. So when you meet with people, you know, some people I would imagine come in, they somewhat understand and then the medium, they kind of sort of, and, and then the last would be, that's why I'm here. So how do you start with um, maybe the individual that n- needs more tuning, but understands that there's tuning needed? <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of it does come down to figuring out where we start now and yeah, figuring out exactly what these parameters are in their, their comfort level. We... You know, sometimes people want to look at this the wrong way. Maybe they're trying to catch up on retirement planning. I want to I want to retire in five or six years. So does that mean that we should take more risk so that we can earn more in the account and I can maybe make up for the fact that I've earned less? And you know, I have to point out that unfortunately there's 
there's another side of that. You know, if we try to take more risk to catch up with our investment accounts and then the market crashes, then we're going to wind up worse off as a result. So we don't want to take too much risk to try to earn more and then get the opposite result. And now we've lost a lot close to retirement. So we really want to take the, the right amount of risk. We obviously want to maximize our rate of return, but we don't want to take any extra risk or too much risk in the process. And that's why figuring out that correct investment allocation based on your time horizon is so important so that we can maximize returns. But, you know, if we do hit that bad period, 2008, 2022, you know, we're not in a situation where we don't have enough time to recover before we have to start withdrawing money. So it really is a, a bit of an art and something that we want to be fine tuning and reviewing on a pretty regular basis. So um, being that we're probably talking, not probably, we're talking to an audience of, of federal um, retirees, current employees and the like, and, you know, listening to today's show is, is certainly a, important. But when dealing with the folks, the federal folks, do you find sometimes that, you know, some groups, you know, maybe like an engineering group or something that, that they, they get the investment maybe more than some of the other ones. So when you're talking, how do you read the tea leaves? I guess it's from the questions you get or from the questions you don't get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I do work with people that have you know, very advanced understanding of their investment allocation and how they want to be investing and, and others that you know, that aren't sure at all in terms of what goes into it. And, you know, I'll get things such as, oh, uh, you know, the, an IRA, you know, how much does that earn compared to my TSP and, and things like that? And, um, you know, then we'll get back to basics as far as it's it's not being in an IRA or being in TSP. It's, it's what you're invested in within it. If you're in cash or the G fund, then obviously those are going to have lower rates of return, but they're going to be safer. And if we're in stocks, and that's clearly going to have more risk and hopefully higher returns from there. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, no matter what level we're at or how long we've been doing this, it is important to, to focus on those core concepts, which is thinking about how much time you have until you need money and then how long it'll take afterwards. Bottom line, you, know, you could be an aggressive investor, but if you need all the money six months from now or a year from now, well, if the market crashes and you go to take that withdrawal and there's not enough there, then we're in trouble. And the money that we do pull out doesn't have a chance to recover. On the other hand, I could have a young investor and they're pretty conservative. But in that instance, I'll tell them it, you know, it doesn't in many ways, it doesn't matter what happens to the market this year, or next year, even the year after. What matters is what is the account worth when you go to take the withdrawal out in retirement? Uh, and if that's 20 plus years away, then we've got plenty of time for ups and downs along the way. Uh, so I think focusing on the the time frame along with the risk tolerance is really the best way to think about it. And I, I try to emphasize that regardless of who I'm working with. Okay, let's say you're working with somebody that's, you know, cash flow only, um, CDs and, and, and whatever. And you know, they may have money outside, so it, it, I won't say it really doesn't make a lot of difference, but how do you get that person not to become aggressive, but not to be blindsided cautious? Yeah, well, we may have different buckets for different purposes, and a lot of times the the money in, in our checking account and things like that, that, that may be the emergency fund or have a shorter time frame. So I want to look at that money differently than the stuff in my retirement account. And I want to think about, again, it really comes down to the time horizon, how long until I'm going to access that money. And it may, probably should be a bit more conservative for investments in my non-retirement accounts versus the retirement assets are going to tend to be second in the pecking order of when I will access my funds. And therefore, I can take a little more risk with it. So I, I think just really thinking through what time frame for when I'm accessing money and combining that with my risk is going to be the best way to go about it. Okay. And when you, when you do these webinars, etc., um, we take breaks like today we'll take break, but they'll come up to you in class if it's live or if it's, um, you know, live or if it's live over the net, um, probably get a lot, when you get sometimes outside of D.C., not that D.C. is the only place that understands investing, 
but you know some of the outer regions uh, have sometimes a rougher time than uh, what they do in others and even agencies or within agencies you know but how then do you do you approach that person's question and you got to size them up kind of quickly as to whether uh, they're new to the game midway through or ultra cautious at the end <laughs> sure well it really depends on what the question is sometimes it's specific sometimes it's general uh one that i'll get a lot is people asking if they need to rebalance their thrift savings plan or other investment accounts and that it kind of goes hand in hand with the stuff we just talked about where as i get closer to retirement i probably want to be getting a little more conservative with my investments but in terms of you know, on a broad scope, should you be rebalancing your investments in the new year or not? Uh, depends what happened in the past year. But if you, let's say oh, we've decided that our investment account should be 70% in stocks, just based on time horizon and risk tolerance. And I go in and look at my quarterly statement and I see that I'm up to 75 or percent or higher because the stock money did really well, well, then that's a clue that I need to rebalance. I need to go in and transfer some money and put it back in line in the allocation that I want to be in. So I don't necessarily just want to rebalance based on X amount of time has gone by. I want to rebalance because I've gotten out of line or out of whack with where I, I want and should be. And I think a good threshold is typically two, 3% or more meaning for whatever allocation or fund you're looking at, if it is two or 3% or more off where it should be, then that's a good time to rebalance. Typically, if I'm looking at my quarterly statements, that's going to be sufficient where I can see some quarters I need to rebalance, others I don't, uh, but I'm more using the, the changes uh, to figure out if I need to rebalance rather than just doing it on some set time scale. Uh, now, the life cycle funds, what's nice about them is they will rebalance for you, but I still want to pay attention to the path that they're on. Uh, they're going to gradually reduce to 60% stocks when you're five years out from that target date. And then the last five years, that stock exposure really falls off a cliff. It goes all the way down to 30%. And a lot of federal employees aren't aware of what dramatic rebalancing they're going to be doing and getting more conservative. Uh, so even if you're handing it off in that respect to the life cycle funds, a lot of nice things about that, but I still want to pay attention and look at the path they're on. And I can do that on the TSP website by just pulling up the funds, going uh, to the composition tab and seeing what path that they're going to be on. Okay, great, great comment. And it generates a question. What's the best way to monitor cash flow and create a budget if I'm not comfortable with it or maybe I've never done it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great, great question. So I think monitoring your cash flow and looking at your expenses is really important. Uh, a really good indicator of where you're likely going to spend money is to look at where you've been spending money in the past. So I want to take credit card statements, either annual account summaries or monthly statements. If I have them, that's a good indicator where I can look at how much I spent on traveling, vehicle services, dining out, things like that. Uh, and really from a macro level, even look at just my checking and savings account and see what do I have now? What did I have six months ago? What do I have a year ago? And then let's look at any large one-time deposits or withdrawals. Uh, so I think starting by looking in the past is, is a really good way to go about it. Uh, and then as far as tools for monitoring in the future, I see we have a, a commercial coming up here. So maybe hold off on that side of it. But I want to start by looking at where I've been spending money and look at the cash flow from that side of things. Perfectly then. <laughs> Great information. And then we should probably uh, listen to what the good folks at WIPA, the sponsor, the sponsor of the show, can do for the listeners. Times have changed. But WEPA's mission remains the same, to promote the health, welfare, and financial well-being of civilian federal employees. WEPA offers group term life insurance to civilian federal employees with up to $1.5 million in coverage, regardless of salary. As a WEPA member, you can access exclusive rates and benefits not available to the general public. How does this compare to Fegley? Unlike Fegley, WEPA's coverage amounts are not capped by your salary. 
WEPA will cover your family as well. For your children, WEPA offers double the benefits that Fegley offers. And for your spouse, WEPA offers 20 times more coverage than Fegley. 20 times more coverage! WEPA's coverage is also portable if you decide to leave the federal government or retire. You can even supplement or replace your existing policy. See how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today. All righty, welcome back. So for your benefit, we're in the final, no, not final. We've got, what, another almost 35, 40 minutes, Andrew? Andrew, the ever-efficient engineer. And so uh, we uh, stopped at the break. And do we, we have any things that we want to cover before we go to the next one? Yeah, so I kind of got through half of the, the question. Uh, the question was the best way to monitor cash flow and create a budget. So as I was saying before the break, I, I think looking at where you've been spending money is a good way to start monitoring cash flow. From there, there are tons of different budgeting tools and apps and websites and other options we can use. I tell clients, you really just want to come up with a system that works for you. Uh, I don't go into our webinars and say everyone has to do it this way or anything like that. But if you've done budgeting at some point in the past and it's failed, a lot of times we think I'm going to track every single penny. Let's see where all the money's going. We wind up with 75 different categories and the whole thing becomes pretty daunting and overwhelming. So I want to start by trying to keep it simple. And I'll show, you know, just a potential spreadsheet that one could use and keeping things limited to about eight core categories, housing, food, clothing, utilities, things like that. And that is a good starting point. I don't want 50 categories. Let's start with eight or so. And then if I get in the habit of tracking this and I want to expand a bit from there, I can. But let's try to make it as simple as possible to look at what's coming in and what's going out. And that really is a crucial part of financial planning. At the end of the day, if we want to increase what we're putting into our investment accounts, TSP or elsewhere, we need to look at inflows and outflows. And there's just not that much that you can do day to day, week to week to say, you know what, let's double the inflows next month. Sure, I can work hard, progress in my career, but not a lot of immediate control which means if I want to net out more into savings, it's going to come down to looking at my cash flow, where those expenses are and figuring out which areas I could reduce or cut or limit in some way. And that just immediately frees up more into investments. So lots of flexibility, what system I use, but I want to put a good amount of time into it so that I can figure out what changes can I make to spend less and save more? And every dollar I can reduce on the spending side, that's another dollar that can go into my TSP or some other investment vehicle. Great. We've got an uh, email question. Question for the show. Shouldn't one adjust the withdrawal rate of 4% to reflect one's performance from the prior year? So in other words, if, you know, I guess the, the question is if, if I'm looking at a withdrawal rate coming out of the TSP to, uh, for me to utilize personally, um, does that also vary with the performance of my TSP? Yeah, good question. So I think as far as the 4% withdrawal rate, uh, that is referring to the 4% rule, which is based on looking at a portfolio of half stock index, half bond index, and our money would have last 30 years through past investment returns and and cycles does that guarantee me i could retire today and withdraw at four percent per year and never run out of money absolutely not you know, just because this is something that's worked in the past doesn't guarantee me it would work in the future but for someone who hasn't gone through a detailed retirement plan looked at projections year by year i do think it's a it's a good starting point meaning when i'm thinking about big picture, how do I know if I'll have enough saved for retirement, then I'm inclined to, without other planning, use that 4% rule and think about, you know, if, if I want 40,000 a year, well, then I'm going to need about a million in assets so that I can withdraw 4%, adjust that number for inflation each year afterwards and be okay. So in terms of our question here, should I adjust it to the prior year returns? I would say not really. And the reason for that 
is this is just based on an initial dollar amount, year one of retirement, thinking about roughly how much you could withdraw. So if you have a really good year or bad year, that might impact things a little bit. Um, but I'm not going to necessarily assume that I can withdraw a much higher rate or a much lower rate just because one year of returns were much higher or lower. And I, I really don't want to be using that 4% rule for year over year planning in retirement. It's more just kind of a, a general concept that I would use going into retirement to think about roughly how much I could pull out. Um, I do think about, you know, what situations would that 4% rule fail? And it would typically be several years of poor performance in a row early in retirement. You know, let's say 2008 happened, but then the market didn't recover in the years after. That could be a scenario where one would get in trouble. So eventually, you know, yes, these prior returns are going to matter because our account balance is less. But I, I don't want to overreact too much to one year and then suddenly decide I'm going to withdraw a lot more or less as a result. So I guess the the long winded answer there is is I want to take it into consideration, but I really don't want to be making any big changes based on one year of performance. All right. Now, as you um, uh, tutor us, how does somebody get in touch with you? Yeah. Uh, so I have a, uh, a website on just under my name. So it's www.briankurrus. So www.briankurrus.com. Uh, I can also be reached at 703-606-8124 and happy to you know, help any of our listeners with other questions or areas they want to review if I can. Okay. Um, looking at today's world, maybe not so much for the people still working, but um, should I increase my retirement plan contributions in 2024 or should I stay where I am if I'm very happy? <laughs> yeah, good question. I would say if possible, yes. You know, some of this does come down to cash flow, but Ideally, I am going to max out my retirement plans or at least increase what I'm putting in. So you know, we're able to go from in TSP or 401k, we're going from 22,500 up to 23,000, a $500 increase. That catch-up amount is 7,500. So that puts us over 30,000 we can put in. So if you're trying to max out, and even if you're not, I think increasing your contributions is great. Now, the flip side of that is I want a little balance with my assets. And I'll tell federal employees, you know, this may seem crazy coming from a financial planner, but I'll have situations where I meet with someone and I recommend scaling back their TSP contributions. And the reason is, you know, maybe they're doing a healthy investment into TSP, but I look at what they have in their non-retirement accounts and their checking and saving, and they don't have enough to cover the next rent or mortgage payment. They're counting on that paycheck that's going to hit, or they built up a bunch of credit card debt and they're paying 20% interest on it. So in those instances, I don't want to stop contributing to TSP, but maybe I'll scale back to 5% so that I'm getting all the free money, so to speak, all of the, the matching. So I'll scale back to 5% or I'll recommend scaling back to 5% so that they can free up a little extra cash flow, get that going into their checking account, at least for a while. You know, maybe it only takes a couple months or something like that. And then they can build an emergency fund and or pay down, pay off high interest credit card debt. And then once we've gotten that cash flow side under control, well, now we want to turn back and really ramp it up and work towards maxing out TSP if possible. So a lot of this really does go hand in hand with the cash flow side. I want to make sure I've got some balance. I'm covering my bills. But then from there, I definitely want to increase if possible. Okay. I, I like where we're, what we're talking about now, but when when we're looking at where to invest, do we look at rate of return first? In other words, how much is my um, money making? Let's say it's a solid investment with a CD or, or money market or something like that. Of course, we don't want to have all of our money in, in one of those. But when do we move off of that and to put our um, toes in the water with uh, you know, a cautious uh, stock mix, um, maybe some bonds? But, you know, where does that... Um, 
where, where's a newbie going? <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah. And it's sort of, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it, it, it really does come down to time horizon and risk tolerance. Now, there's a couple ways to do this, but you know, let's say I'm I'm someone early career. And if I'm saving money to buy a home, well, maybe that time frame is three to five years. But when I go to closing, I need all of the money. Then I've got money I'm putting in my TSP. I'm not going to touch that for 20, 30 plus years. And when I retire, hopefully I'm not spending the whole TSP in year one of retirement. I'm going to then spend it down over another 10, 20 plus years of retirement if I'm fortunate enough. So I want to think about the time horizon until I access it as well as on the back end. And that goes a long way. And that means the the non-retirement stuff that my emergency fund, saving for a down payment, whatever it could be, that stuff I'm typically going to be pretty conservative with, or at least more conservative. And then the retirement accounts, I'm going to take more risk until I'm truly approaching re the retirement date where I may be withdrawing a decent chunk of that money. So the life cycle funds for your TSP, they, they do give you a little guidance there. And if you plug in, I may retire in 2050 or 2060, you'll see that's going to be almost all stocks. Now, if you're saying I'm going to access the money in 2030 and I'm in a 2030 fund, well, they've already moved a lot over to GNF. So one way to do this is to use their guidance as a starting point. Again, I don't think it's the end all be all for um, for planning in that regard, but it's not a bad starting point. Or the second is, you know, I can just do an online search, put in risk tolerance questionnaire, pull up several online, or if I work with an advisor, they can likely assist in this area. And that would help me as well. Yeah, I'm maybe going through this for and non-retirement stuff, then for retirement accounts. And that's going to help me figure out exactly what I want in stocks versus the safer stuff. All right, when you're working with a, um, potential um new client or you know people that you know might listen to the show um so, sometimes the phone with the show is busier than others um but when when you um talk to people that are within an agency you know a federal government agency or those that are maybe outside the, the sphere where there's a lot of not a lot of federal employees they still can get information can't, I mean, they, they can listen to the show. I mean, we have nothing to sell. So um, <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the show is there. And if you want to take it to the next level, you know, Brian's there to um, help you. Uh, but do you find a reluctance for people? You know, they don't, they don't want anybody managing their money. They want CDs. I think it's a, it's a lower percent than what it used to be. But nonetheless, they're still there. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would say most of the people I talk with are people that have come to me. So they're, they're typically pretty interested in the advice, but I will through our, you know, seminars and, you know, people that are asking questions, I'll, I'll come across people that are very concerned over costs and fees and being fee conscious. And I, I think that's important. I don't want to be in mutual funds or ETFs that have really high expenses in them. Uh, but it's not the end all be all of of everything. Uh, meaning if I'm in if I'm looking at low cost fund one versus pretty low cost fund two and a pretty low cost fund has a much better track record, then I think that's OK. And yeah, people absolutely want to minimize fees while well, they can put it you know, put it in cash and then they, they know they're not paying anything. But it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to earn more on their their money. So I, I think it's important to be aware of the fees. But at the end of the day, I'll tell clients what's important is how much are the investments actually earning after they net out those expenses. So I definitely want to avoid the high fee stuff. But if it's in the the very low to low or even moderate range, you know, I think that's okay if the investments have shown that they can net out those expenses and still do better than a lot of others. Uh, so there is a lot of data to, to look at with those investment choices. Uh, but the fee side is important, but I wouldn't say it's the only thing. All right. You just mentioned um, something called an ETF. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think an ETF is exchange traded fund. What's that mean? <laughs> so the two main ways that we can invest into a fund that will have hundreds or thousands of stocks or bonds within a single fund 
is a mutual fund or ETF. And while you know buying one single stock can certainly hit a home run, we could also lose everything. And one of our goals with investing is diversification. You know, we want to get the overall upside of the market, but we really want to take as little risk in the process. And diversifying with a lot of holdings is generally the ideal way to do that. And the main funds I'm going to use are both mutual funds and ETFs. Two big differences uh, that separate them. One is ability to trade. An ETF does trade like a stock, meaning I could buy a ETF right now, 10.36 a.m. Eastern time, and then I could sell at 2.35 p.m. Eastern time. So if I'm day trading or it's very specific timing, there's an advantage on the ETF side, a mutual fund, and typically your 401k thrift savings plan funds, they're going to fall into this category. They're going to trade once per day. So if I go in and say, I'm, I'm moving from the G fund to the C fund today, it doesn't matter if I enter it at 1030 or I put it in at three, I'm getting the price at 4 p.m. at market close period. So not quite as much flexibility on the timing. For a retirement account, that's really it. If I'm dealing with a non-retirement account, just a, a brokerage account, this is after-tax money that I'm investing, well, <clears throat> then I'm thinking about capital gains. And a lot of your mutual funds, as they buy and sell different stocks, turn over the portfolio a bit over the course of the year, they may pass along some of these capital gains to you. Some will remain unrealized. So you're going to pay a little bit of the tax bill along the way year over year based on money you've earned within the positions. ETF, because it does trade more like a stock, you're going to generally delay any of those taxes until the end. So it's nice year over year when you're not getting the capital gains bill. But then when you go to sell, then you're typically looking at one big tax bill at the end. So a little more tax deferral on the ETF side, but overall, uh, there's a lot of similarities. They're both great for investing. And when I manage money in both non-retirement and IRA accounts, I'm, I'm typically using a combination of both mutual funds and ETFs. But those, those are the core differences. Okay, got another question for you. The P slash E ratio is historically high this year and interest rates will continue to stay at elevated levels. Doesn't it make sense to rebalance one's portfolio to be more defensive? First, what's rebalance? <laughs> yeah, well, we talked we a talk little about bit about rebalancing in a, a big sense in terms of do I need to move out of the stock market and into bonds? But there's other levels of rebalancing, as in am I overweight, large cap growth compared to large cap value. And we've seen a bit of a trend post 2008, which is these big tech names that we see and hear about every day, dominating the market, dominating market returns, and growth stocks have just really outperformed value stocks for a long time. So I think making having a pretty balanced allocation between both makes sense, but we've clearly seen a run where growth stocks have done better. And the question really every year, is this going to be when value stocks finally start performing better and we don't see so much of returns focused in our mega cap tech or not? So getting back to the PE standpoint, PE is price to earnings ratio. Uh, what's really tended to happen post-2008 is we'll see stocks get a bit expensive. Those P.E. ratios get a little frothy, so to speak. But then we go through a season of corporate earnings. We get some updated Fed data, and it kind of justifies the run-up we just had. We see corporate earnings beats and things like that, and then we reset the cycle. So it's very much the new data, both in terms of corporate earnings and what our Fed does and what happens to interest rates, when cuts start, things like that. It's very much that data that determines where the market should be priced. But the market does a really good job of pricing in all publicly known information. Uh, so, you know, from that standpoint, it's, there's, it's not a clear indicator that we want to go heavier one way or another. This is um, very good, but uh, I won't say but. People listening to the show, they're going to be in different categories. Some will understand 100% of it. Some will understand 80%, etc. So all of this is good to listen to the show. But after the show, where does somebody go to get 
further information, maybe from you or just in general? Uh, well, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about is thrift savings plan. There is a lot of good news and information on tsp.gov. So you can pull up fund performance info on there. You can look at rates of return. There's a bulletin board that'll highlight news and information as well. So in our webinars, I'll definitely recommend that as a good resource. Uh, another website is investor.gov. They've got time value money calculators on there, basic investment info, things like that. Uh, so those are two good resources. And obviously when I'm working with clients, they can reach out to me and I certainly can help them as well. All right. Now how's somebody get in touch with you again? <laughs> uh, yeah, through my website is is probably the best way. www.briancurrus.com. Very good. Andrew is telling us it's time for a break and we'll listen to what NITP can do for the listeners. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career, or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. Okay, welcome, welcome back to the final uh, leg of today's show. We're here with Brian Curris, Certified Financial Planner, and Andrew, the Ever-Efficient Engineer. We're talking about financial review for the new year. I mean, what better time to do it than early, early uh, February? When you talk with uh, folks um, via the net or, you know, new clients and the like, what is there a number one, two or th three thing that they ought to know that they don't? And I mean, no disrespect for anybody that doesn't understand everything that uh, we're talking about today, or maybe just in general. Yeah, yeah. good question. Good question. Um, well, we could answer this on a couple levels. I'd say first is big picture. You know, what should I be doing to get ready for retirement. And I'll break this down into a couple areas, but one is just getting yourself organized financially. And I'm going to start by looking at tracking my net worth. So looking at my assets, liabilities, net worth, and that's kind of keeping score. And it, it's hard to know if you're on the right track for retirement, if you don't know where you're coming from and where you've been going. So I want to track that net worth, I'd say anywhere from monthly to quarterly to annually, and that'll give me a good sense of where I stand today. And then what goes hand in hand with getting organized is some of the stuff we talked about earlier, tracking my cash flow, the budgeting. And when I start thinking about retirement, there's a couple ways to do this. Uh, if I am, I'd say early mid-career, and maybe I have no idea what my retirement budget's going to look like then I can use a percentage of my income. Uh, most experts will recommend starting around 70, 80 cents on the dollar or 70, 80%. And I'm typically thinking of this as pre-tax because a lot of my income sources in retirement are gonna be pre-tax, FERS annuity, social security, traditional TSP and IRA withdrawals, things like that. So meaning if I were making 100K pre-tax today, then I might wanna assume I'll need pre-tax income sources of 70, 80K in retirement. Then as I get a little bit further, maybe mid to late career, uh, then I might start thinking of it in terms of what I'm spending now. You know, what's my take home pay? This is hitting my bank account every two weeks. Let's look at what this is on a monthly basis. I kind of adjust my TSP and other savings based on what I have. So if this is what I'm used to spending now, then let's assume that I'm going to be spending something similar in retirement. And then best case is I'm a year out, two years, three years out from retirement. 
well, let's formulate the actual retirement budget. This is going to go up. This is going to go down. This will stay the same. And let's figure out exactly what we need to be spending. So I think tying it all together is one of the biggest questions I have. It starts with getting organized, thinking about how much we may need to spend. And then once I have a sense of that, then I can answer the question of, you know, how do I know if I have enough saved for retirement? And it really comes down to, well, if I, let's say I, I'm making a hundred K, I think I'm going to need 80,000 a year. Well, if my FERS annuity and social security are, let's say they're going to cover 50, well, then there's a gap. I think I'm going to need 80. I'm going to have 50 coming in. So where's that other 30 per year going to come from? It's going to come from my thrift savings plan and other savings accounts. Well, how much do I need to have there? Well, this circles back to what we talked about earlier. A good starting point would be to assume I'm going to need about 4% a year or so. So this doesn't replace going through a detailed retirement plan. But if I want to withdraw 30000 a year out of an account to cover the gap between my income needs and sources, and I don't want to withdraw more than 4% or so, then that would tell me I would need roughly 750 k and yeah, I know we're covering a lot of numbers here. I don't expect everyone to be writing this down and figuring out calculations on the fly here. But just the core starting point is is thinking through the concepts, thinking about what your what your net worth is, what your cash flow or budget looks like, and then transitioning that into starting to think about a savings amount and what you may need to live off of in retirement. That's um that's a daunting task. <laughs> <laughs> It is, and it's not something you know we have to tackle all at once in one sit down. Uh, we can certainly do it over time and in different levels. Uh, you know, one other thing I'll throw out there: sometimes people ask, "How do I run retirement projections?" You can go on TSP.gov and go do your account. Go under "How to Manage My Plan Calculators." And there's a retirement income modeler, which is pretty new in the last couple of years. And it is account specific, but it'll give you specific projections for your thrift savings plan under the criteria you put in. And that is a, a really good starting point as well, just to get a sense of what you could have in your TSP and what that could provide. So if somebody goes to that, um, what do they do if they just, they're not uneasy, but they don't always understand the jargon or they, you know, might say, what's time value of money? I think I heard about that on a radio show or wherever else. Um, when you're dealing with um, somebody that you've never talked to before, you, you can't jump into all that, but you, you kind of have to size them up as to whether they're strong, medium, or they need help. Yeah, well... If I'm talking to someone, then I'd like to think that I can really help simplify it and I can explain what these things mean. You know, if it's time value of money that's taking our dollar today and telling us at X rate of return or inflation rate what that would be in the future. But you know, let's say you're trying to run the retirement income modeler on your own and you don't have anyone to turn to. Uh, the TSP, the Thrift Savings Plan line, is a good starting point. They can absolutely help you navigate the website, uh, navigate the retirement income modeler. And you know they're not financial planning experts or advisors per se, but they can certainly help you with running the calculators and at least understanding a little bit of what you're, what you're doing on there and what you're trying to look at. Uh, and I think just putting in some time and energy yourself to running different scenarios really helps. I don't want to run projections and say, you know, let's see what an 8% rate of return looks like. And then just assume that that's absolutely what I'm going to have. Certainly if it's a stock-based portfolio, I may get an 8% return. Maybe I even get a higher one over time but there's lots of possibilities where things don't go as well and I get less. So maybe I see what the numbers look like at 8%, but then let's run it at 6% and let's run it at 4%. And what you may even wind up finding is that the variables have a big impact. You know, I'm, I'm looking 10, 15 years out from retirement, you know, good scenario here. I'm going to have a couple million, but if I have a really low rate of return, it's much less. So it's not clear. You know, if I'm 10 years out from retirement, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to have exactly this dollar amount when I retire. You actually have a huge range of outcomes. Uh, and what happens is every single year as you get closer, 
the actual returns come to fruition. You're projecting now for a shorter number of years moving forward. So that range of outcomes starts to narrow to the point where when you are a year out, then you've got a very clear idea, but it was a long path to get there. And for that reason, you know, I really want to start the planning as soon as possible. It early career, it's never too early to start planning, but I know that there's a lot of variables, a lot of things that'll change. And then I continue to tweak it and review it as I get closer to retirement and as time goes on. So all, all uh, questions are, are not created equal. So you have people that kind of sort of understand what you just did. Others may be half and whatnot. What do you recommend them uh, to do in, in, a, in a, let's say a prep course, not a heavy duty, but just so you understand the jargon a little bit better when you would meet somebody like you? Yeah, I think get kind of getting down to basics here. You know, one of the things I touched on recently was getting yourself organized. So that I'd say that's step one. You need to know how much money you have. You need to have a sense of your budget or cash flow, and then how much you can, how much you're saving. Uh, that's a goes a long way. You know, how much we're able to invest every month goes a long way to a successful retirement. Obviously, someone who's putting in a thousand a month into their TSP is going to be better off than someone putting 200 a month. And that all comes down to cash flow planning. Now, another core part of that is going to be the rate of return. And that's looking at, you know, if we are investing X amount per month and we're getting 4% a year, 6% a year, 8%, well, power of compounding over time, we're certainly going to be much better off at the higher rates. And that side of things all comes down to the investment allocation, the risk tolerance and time horizon, rebalancing and all the stuff we talked about at the beginning. The third component to this, I just mentioned it, is time. If we get to the finish line, our retirement date, and there's not enough saved, well, we either scale back what we're going to live off of or we add time. And that's what you frequently see. People continue to work so that they can catch up on the savings or earnings that they didn't get earlier in their career. Well, if I'm doing retirement planning now, I'd rather leave the time component as a variable. You know, let's maximize what we're saving, the cash flow side. Let's maximize the rate of return and the investment analysis. And then the time part will hopefully take care of itself where I get to that first possible retirement date. I've got enough saved and then I can just decide if I want to work longer or not, as opposed to I have to have to work longer from there. Uh, so I, you can't necessarily say one's more important to the other. They're all really important. And it's and I want to be putting some time into all of this. Okay, talking about putting in some time. Andrew, what do we have? Five minutes? So I'm sure we can fill five minutes, but sometimes you and I, yeah, sometimes I I'm, I'm off listening to, to you and, and trying to uh, do the next question. Anyway, I'll shut up and say, what do we need to do before our five minutes is up? <laughs> well, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the investment side. Where does the insurance side fit into this? And a lot of times the insurance side, there's there's two fronts to this. One is the cash flow. Uh, and I'll, I'll find this with whether it's life insurance or something else. Yeah, you know, if I have, for instance, my Fegley option B, that coverage gets very expensive as I get older and hit new five-year age bands. You know, you'll hear from uh, you hear from our sponsor on options to lower that, but anything that we can do to reduce the outlay on the insurance side, you know, that counts just as much as going into our budget and cutting out dining out things like that. So I really want to be looking at all areas including insurance costs and making sure I have the right coverage but also that I uh, that I'm keeping the cost down and freeing up some cash flow there. And then when I'm thinking about the retirement side of things, you've got the potential long-term care costs. If I ever needed an aide to come into my home, go into a nursing home or assisted living facility. Now, the federal government had a, a long-term care plan that launched in 2002, had it in force for 20 years, still in force for people that had purchased, but they suspended new sales at the end of 2022. They put a two-year time horizon on that through the end of 2024. Uh, I haven't heard updates on that as far as exactly what's going to happen, but I'm certainly curious to find out if the plan's going to come back and if in what capacity. And I think we'll be getting some updates later in the year on that. Regardless, 
if I'm self-insuring or purchasing some coverage, it's it's at least a, a risk that I want to think about. And in addition to the Fed plan, there are private insurance companies that you don't see as many standalone as they're called or traditional long-term care plans anymore, but you see a lot of life insurance plans that will pay out benefits for long-term care needs. And those are absolutely available and something that people can look at to help cover those expenses as well. Uh, but again, from a planning standpoint, I just want to be aware of what these potential costs are, think through if I'm self-insuring or not, and then I can have a, a good idea of if I'm going to protect myself and in what capacity. All right. We have less than two minutes. Andrew's carefully monitoring our, our discussion. <laughs> um, with less than two minutes, um, well, the highlights that we, we talked about earlier that maybe some people um, didn't get it. Yeah. Well, let's get back to the beginning. You know, should I change my investment allocation and reviewing your allocation is one of the core things. You really want to look at every account differently. Again, the non-retirement stuff, you may need that sooner rather than later. So I, I want to be careful with that, especially any any money that's uh, as my emergency fund, which which I typically want to be three to six months of living expenses. So I want to be aware of what my investment allocation is. I want to be thinking about what path I'm on and if I should be making any changes or if I need to rebalance. And then the, I'd say the second part of that is just looking at your cash flow. And again, doing the budgeting, thinking about if there's ways to save more, uh, and then using those two in combination, save as much as possible, earn as much as possible, you know, easier said than done, but with a little bit of time and effort, then we can certainly uh, get on top of things and get ourselves on the right track for retirement. All righty. So I think we are done. Final, just final quick thoughts, Andrew. Is well, saying yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been great being on as always. Uh, again, just carve out a little time to look through this stuff. And, you know, the, the time you put into it now may save you years later for being able to retire when you want or not. Uh, so make it a priority, put it on the calendar. And thanks for having me, Bob. It's been great as always. Thanks for coming on, Andrew. Thanks for keeping us steady. And we'll be back next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search For Your Benefit. Thanks for listening.